Let us pray. Oh God, you know us better than we know ourselves. As the scriptures are read, we will listen for your voice. By your spirit, lead us out of our fears and into the knowledge of your love through Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of our souls. Amen. Our Psalter reading this morning comes to us from the book of Psalms, chapter 80, verses 1 through 7 and 17 through 19. Listen now for the psalmist's call to God to restore that which has been taken away. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. Stir up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us the scorn of our neighbors. Our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. But let your hand be upon the one at your right hand, the one whom you made strong for yourself. Then we will never turn back from you. Give us life and we will call on your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today's New Testament reading comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13, verses 24 through 37. Listen now for God's word to you and to me. But in those days after that suffering, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Neither the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Beware, keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey 
when he leaves home and puts his slaves in charge, each with his own work, and commands the doorkeeper to be on the watch. Therefore, keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or at cockrow or at dawn, or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. The word of the Lord. So much needs to end. Hatred, division, bigotry, sexism, racism, greed, violence. This past year has been full of reminders of all the things that need to end in our world, in our nation, in our community, and in our lives. So much needs to end. The trouble is, we're not so good at endings. We have a really hard time turning the page, owning up to the consequences of our actions, or admitting that we've, what we're doing is no longer really working. We're not so good at endings, because endings ask too much of us. They require brutal honesty, incredible openness, and naked vulnerability, things we struggle to express on a good day. So instead of embracing the end of a tradition, of a relationship, of a practice, of an ideology, we often double down and get stuck in a cul-de-sac of fear going round and around and around. We're not so good at endings. Of course, truth be told, we're not so good at beginnings either. It's also hard for us to turn a new leaf, to believe in a brighter future for us or for others, to move past the grief, the sin, the pain. It's an old saying among church leaders that no church really wants to grow because no church really wants to change. To start anew means changing the ways we relate to each other. It means changing our priorities. It means changing the ways we understand and use our privilege and our power. Like endings, it seems, beginnings just ask too much of us. So instead of stepping into the future with courage, we settle for the status quo. So much needs to end and so much needs to begin, and we're not that good at either one. Well, today, we find ourselves at an end and a beginning. It's the first Sunday of Advent when the church year officially begins at the end of all things. Today's passage from Mark is often called the Little Apocalypse, and as such, it's often seen as a prediction of the end of time. But I don't think that's Mark's intent with these words from Jesus. If you notice, in today's passage, there is no mention of the end of the world, no indication of a final judgment, no call to flee our day-to-day -day realities or responsibilities. All there is is this promise, this beautifully described promise, that the Son of Man is near. Mark wrote down these words of Jesus to provide commentary and comfort to a community to a people who were living in turmoil. Jerusalem, the center of Jewish cultural and religious life, was being besieged. 
and as it was falling brick by brick to the ground, Mark was writing to a people stuck in between, in between a tragic ending and the beginning of something new, where their grief over what was ending was only matched by their anxiety of what might be. And into this fear, this uncertainty, this stuckness, Jesus uses apocalyptic language to get the people's attention, which makes sense because apocalyptic language, language that talks about the end of things and the beginning of things, is most appealing to those people who are caught in between what was and what will be. Maybe it's just me with all the Netflix I've been watching in the last 10 months. But have you noticed how many TV shows and movies fall into the apocalyptic or post-apocalyptic genre? If you step back and look at it, it's staggering how many there are. To give you some context, here's a list of just some of the shows, TV shows and movies, produced in the past 10 years that deal with the end of the world as we know it. The Colony, Aftermath, Containment, Fear of the Walking Dead, The Walking Dead, Twelve Monkeys, Childhood Ends, The Leftovers, The One Hundred, The Last Ship, Planet of the Apes, Ten Cloverfield Lane, The Lobster, Insurgent, Mad Max Fury Road, X-Men, Days of Future Past, The Hunger Games, Edge of Tomorrow, give me a second, gotta breathe, Helix, A Quiet Place, Mad Max Fury Road, The Lottery, Z Nation, Under the Dome, Revolution, Falling Skies, and my favorite title, Seeking a Friend at the End of the World. That's a fraction of the list of TV shows and movies that deal with the end of all things. 2,000 years after the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, 2,000 years after Mark recorded these words of Jesus spoken to a community in turmoil and transition, 2,000 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, we are still, it seems, living in a time in between where the only thing that matches our grief over the loss of the world we knew is our fear of what the future holds. A few years ago, in a lecture she gave about her book Station Eleven, a novel about life on Earth after a massive flu pandemic, someone asked author Emily St. John Mandel why, they asked her why she thought apocalyptic movies and TV shows and books were so popular with the people. Why this genre? Her answer at the time struck me as a tad bit prophetic. It's such a popular theme, she said, because the world as we know it is always ending. The world as we know it is always ending. And it's into that never-ending world that Jesus, our Emmanuel, God's very presence with us, comes. A few years ago, a colleague of mine who has three kids and a heart of gold was diagnosed with a serious form of lung cancer. A week after his life-changing diagnosis, he went to the pharmacy to pick up his insanely expensive pills, his first dose. After completing the transaction, 
that easily could have looked like the purchase of allergy medication to those standing behind him in line, the clerk who rang up my friend asked him, so, um, excuse me, do you have any more questions? And my friend, much to his surprise, said, yeah. And holding up the pills, he said, will you bless these for me? The clerk paused and gave a surprised look and then offered a beautiful, polite bow towards the medicine and then flourished her hands for good measure. After this impromptu little blessing in the sacred moment at the checkout, my friend said, thank you. That was perfect. We've all had that day or that moment or that time when the sun darkened and the moon stopped giving its light and the stars began to fall and the powers of heaven shook the foundations of our lives. We've all been there. We've all been stuck between an end and a beginning. When we find ourselves in that awkward, uncomfortable place, there really is only one thing we can do. And it's not to exert more willpower, although we love that tactic. It's not to look for someone to blame, maybe ourselves. It's also not to double down on the same old habits and practices that got us there in the first place. When we find ourselves stuck in between an end and a beginning, all we can do is wait for Christ to come. For it's at the end of the beginning or the beginning of the end where Christ always shows up to bless us with courage, faith, hope, and love. There is no future or no past where Christ is waiting for us, at least not on this side of glory. The only place where Christ shows up in our lives is in the present moment, in that space between what was and what will be, and as we all know from personal experience, the present moment, that space between, it is the hardest place for us to be. Because it's in that spot, in that place, in between an end and a beginning, where there's nowhere to hide from all that we are feeling and all that we know to be true. A young seminary student was so captivated by the Gospel of Mark that she decided to memorize the whole thing and recite it from memory to a crowd of people. It took her a while, about a year. She studied it carefully, tried to get all the nuances and dramatic pauses in place, but she was ready. And her first performance was held in the sanctuary of a church one evening in a place like this. Her performance was poignant and it was moving as she brought the gospel of Mark to life to those people. It was nearly a flawless performance until she delivered the last line of Mark's gospel, the line that no one, including her, was ready for in that moment at that time. Mark's gospel ends with these words, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. She stopped cold. And the audience sat there in their pews, leaning forward, waiting for her to keep going. Despite her months of preparation, it was not until she said those words out loud 
and they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. It was in that moment that she realized how unsatisfying <laughs> that ending was. As she looked out at the faces in the pews full of hope and fear, faces that wanted more, she began to shift nervously from side to side and began to plan her way to get off the chancel and out of that building as fast as possible. And just then, as everything started to get really awkward, just then, that moment between what was and what will be, she figured it out. And she broke into a big smile, looked the people in the eye, and said, Amen. And after a short but awkward pause of recognition, the audience burst into applause. I wonder what we fear in that space between an end and a beginning is that our greatest fear might just be true, that we're unlovable, unworthy of a future filled with hope or a story with a happy ending. Because all behind all that fear and stubbornness and violence and bigotry and racism and sexism that is around us and in us is a feeling of unworthiness, a deep abiding shame, a sense that we are not beautiful or lovable as we are right here, right now. Which, of course, is simply not true. God loves you and others as you are, where you are in this present moment. Which is why I think God comes to us in the one place where we are able to receive and understand this good news. That moment between an end and a beginning where we are powerless to turn the page or begin a new chapter. That moment when what we need more than anything is the presence and the power of a God of endless mercy and love. It's right there in between the end and the beginning where God comes. Amen.